namo tassa bhagavato arahato samasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samasambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samasambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sangang mutsami Surprise, surprise. Ajahn Amaro came back from his uh, visit to London to see the Queen. He, when he came back, he had a very, very, he's got a very bad cold and he's not, I mean, he's feeling particularly well. It's, it's quite a bad, quite, quite a bad cold. He looks very, very tired, run down. So he um, asked to excuse, he excused the meeting tonight because he's had a busy day. Ajahn Amaro seems to catch cold quite easily. Uh, Ajahn Samedo was the same actually. They seem to pick up colds very, very easily. I guess it's because they um, constantly deal in with people from outside. Uh, different, many, many people talk to and, um, and picking up all the, the germs <laughs> that come in from the wicked world. Crawling in through the gate to um, infect us pure people. I think it's the that's the karma of the of the popular ajahn, is that he always seems to be getting sick. Nonetheless, he he said he did enjoy his visit. He said it was very interesting, and uh, he seemed to be very chipper about it. He seemed to have enjoyed it very much. Meeting met quite a lot of different people from different um, religions. He, was, he, was at, he went to a meeting with the Queen. It was a meeting uh, of, um, she was meeting all the, the leaders of the different religions in Britain now. So there was people, people, Buddhist people there. He was one of the Buddhist uh, ministers or teachers. And there was the Hindus and the Christians and the Muslims and the Jews and all sorts. So the Queen is a the Queen of England, or a defender of the faith, and she, but she's also now the protector of all the different um, religions. We're all allowed to, I think, what we like, to a certain extent, anyway. But you see, he did it. He did seem to enjoy it, but it's left him really exhausted. So he asked me if he could be excused for this evening. Uh, and take a bit of time to rest. Which has left me absolutely terrified. Same old story. <coughs> the um, uh, the uh, winter retreat, this is, this is halfway through now, isn't it? Halfway through February. So another six weeks. To go a couple of weeks to the end of February and then March, and then we'll be back into the old cut and thrust of our ordinary life, ordinary existence. And the lay group will all be going back, most of them anyway, probably be going back to their ordinary world of relationships and work and all the rest of it. But going back to the old usual, There's something changed, something coming here, have something different. And then going back, always we're going back to the usual, always this changing processes all the time. Go to something special and then, then we go back to the old, um, the old 
ways of living and everything's always a process of change is going on all the time for us. You come to the monastery and then all these ideas of what it must be like to live as a monk, you see all these sort of pure beings walking about with orange robes and they can imagine what it you know what it's like to live in a monastery or in a in a place of you know religion where people are peaceful uh, always trying to be nice or be good and not harm anybody we see the precepts not to harm any living creature and not to not to take not to steal and not to harm in any way and this leads to a, can lead to a very um, idealistic idea of, of what it's of what life can be inside a, a contained environment and when we look at the look at the monastery it does it has all the railings and the walls and the, the bushes all around it its edges the boundaries of the monastery we, was, we had a meeting the other day and we were talking about the we were talking about the boundaries of the monastery where the boundaries of the monastery are so inside those boundaries is purity love perfection, kindness, and outside of those boundaries is wickedness and horridness, dirtiness, diseases, and that's how we think of it, we tend to think of it like that. <laughs> oh, when we look at, say, we've just been through the eight precepts, we look at those precepts, yeah, they're pretty high, really, it's pretty high behaviour for a human being not to tell any lies. How many, priests, how many people get through a week without telling any lies, even if they're just little ones? It's very, a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? Because of fear or because of greed or because of all these other uh, uh, aspects of, of our, our makeup, uh, defilements in the mind, and sometimes these defilements are not. When we think of greed, it sounds like quite strong, or when we think of uh, say anger and that, but these things can also be very subtle. We can find ourselves um, telling untruths, let's say, what we call those little white lies. There used to be a song called something about those little white lies. And we can find ourselves telling those little white lies for not, not really gross reasons or really even obviously you know, bad reasons, but just because of some little subtle defilement in the mind. And when we look at all the precepts, it's just the same. So we get this, when we look at the precepts or when we hear all the talk, the, the teachings, every night you get readings from Achin Chah's books. And Achin Chah was a pretty you know, highly attained being, a very compassionate, loving, uh, but a very pure person. So when we, when we hear teachings from him, read his books, we can see that it's a very, uh, it can create in our mind a very high and... Um, um, I, uh, high idea, ideal of, of how we will live inside the monastery. But then when we come in, we find that we're living with other human beings, all of whom have got subtle or gross <laughs> aspects of, of their characters still, still there, undeveloped, and then it's a, it, it doesn't take much, actually. <laughs> it doesn't take much, just a few words or a uh, just the wrong um, look to bring up in us all those old states again that we that we walked in through the gate with when we come that, that actually didn't drop off as we just as we pass through that 
that gate and we find ourselves you know, in getting into all sorts of conflicts that if we take a moment as to stop and watch and, and think about what we're, what we're saying or what we've just said, we can see that those conflicts are pretty uh, infantile or uh, just uh, not coming from a very uh, mature uh, or a pleasant place actually. <laughs> And it can be quite surprising to us, and this, and any of the monks and novices and, and the Garikas will tell you it's just the same for us, it's the same for all of us. We, yeah, as we, we can suddenly find ourselves in um, conversation, or, or we can leave a conversation, or some, something uh, that someone's done uh, in our, in our, um, when we've been there, and, and then we can go away carrying a grudge. <clears throat> that can grow quite quickly, actually, if we're not careful. And so this aspect of being, uh, this mindfulness of being careful yeah, in, our, um, uh, in, in our ways of speech and in our ways of relating to each other is a very important one. As, uh, we, can, we can have very fine views about life, uh, practice, uh, and, and, and the views, the ideas of practice coming from a very high state. I'm reading Achen Chah or reading Rampur uh, Mahaboa as teaching, Ajahn Sumato's teachings, and they, they, they come from a sort of very high place. And it's easy for us to think that once we start practice, practicing that we will soon be coming from a very high place. <laughs> Uh, but then we find ourselves doing and saying things that, that are, come from a, not a particularly high place at all. But this is okay because it, it's, it's, that's the reality. You can't live with ideals. It's really impossible. Well, we, maybe for a little while perhaps. Um, we can have ideals, but we, what we have to do as we live and practice uh, in, in monastic life or anyone who comes to live here for a retreat or whatever, is that this is where the practice is. It's only practice. In the end, we're going to trip over. There's going to be a, there's going to be a banana skin somewhere uh, on the path. That we, if we're not careful, we're going to slip on. And that can, that can bring us down uh, to a very hard fall. We can hit the ground quite hard. But it, it's, it, all this is all okay inside the monastery because this is, like, this is all grist to the mill. This is where the, what the practice is. But it, it does take this, take this watchfulness um, to, to see the difference between the ideal of how we should be, how we should all be when we're together or when we're doing this or doing that, and then the reality is of how we are, and that can be quite a gap there. Usually when that gap occurs, uh, one, of the, one of, the, um, of the signs is the suffering that we feel. And when and this suffering arises, when we see the difference of how, how uh, the situation should be, how we should all be acting in a certain situation, how you should be acting and I should be acting, and then, uh, and then how we do act. And then if we're not careful, the, the gap between those two can create um, uh, a suffering for us that is quite intense. And then the secret is to see that suffering, to observe the suffering to know the suffering, because the, the suffering that we're feeling, the, the, the anxiety or the anger or the disappointment that we're feeling, which can be quite intense, is the pointer, that's, that's the clue. Because that comes around from what? 
from holding on, doesn't it? It comes around from sticking. We've stuck to something. And if we've stuck to the ideal of how we should be, or this situation should be, or that person should be, if we're stuck to that ideal, then when that suffering arises, uh, it's, it's, we, we might, that, that sticking place, we may stay in that sticking place and the suffering just continues and then we begin to spread it around as much as we can to everybody else because we don't like to suffer alone. When we're suffering, we like to make sure that everybody else gets a bit because we're, we're rather vengeful creatures, aren't we? We don't like to think of, of this, the suffering, that, this pain that I feel because of this person's behaviour uh, we don't like to think, well, that's it, that's because of me, it's not because of that person <laughs> or their behaviour, but it's because of my sticking, it's because of my, my grasping, or it's because of my um, desire has <laughs> arisen. This is what the Buddha tells us. It's actually quite simple what the Buddha tells us, doesn't it? The, the cause of suffering is craving, desire. Tanha, isn't it? Tanha is like thirst, when you have a thirst. When you have a thirst, well, you want something to drink, then you want to, to slake the thirst. Thirst is unpleasant, isn't it? So, so this thirst can be quite intense. And we want to, we want to get rid of it by getting what we, what we desire, fulfilling our desire. If I fulfill my desire, that will get rid of my suffering. Hmm, really? <laughs> if you get rid of your desire, it'll get rid of your suffering. <laughs> it's more like it, isn't it? But getting rid of the desire is a little bit harder than uh, actually um, fulfilling it. <laughs> but but the, the, all these are not wrong. There's nothing wrong with this. This is not... If, if we're suffering, it doesn't mean to... Well, it means, we're, in a way, we're doing it wrong, but still, it's, it's something that we can reflect on, and all this is all part of the teachings. So when we, as we do things, as we interact together, especially when we're, when we're acting or we're working with other people, uh, and, and, come, and if we start coming from this idealistic place of how we should all be, I mean, we, when a person in a monastery, when a person cleans a toilet, they should clean the toilet, and it should all be white and shining, and there should be, be a speck of dirt anywhere. But if it's in a pub or something or a, a garage, well, what do you expect? But in a in a monastery, when a person cleans a toilet, well, you expect to see it shining, not a mark or anything out of place. And, uh, and, and the toilet paper always there, waiting for you when you, when you need it. But um, and then when it isn't, well, that's a bit of a shock. Because, because our expectations are, are very high. So we, we work together in the kitchen, we might have high expectations of how we should all work, or how people should be, uh, how they should behave. Uh, but then we're all different. We all it's interesting, in, in European monasteries, uh, like this one, especially because being so Britain, being so near Europe, we're getting, we're getting people come to live here. We all come to live as a group and we all look something like the same. We're all sort of European sort of looking people mostly. But actually there's quite a difference, could be quite a difference in our cultures. The way English people or the way German people see and do things can be quite different actually. And then when you get people coming from what used to be the Eastern Bloc, where, 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 where's the influence of communism maybe still there, <laughs> and then we're, we can be very, very different in the way we see things, in the way we do things. One of the characteristics of English people sometimes is that they don't, you're talking to them and they don't sort of say anything. 
that would just look at you because they presume that you know that they're agreeing with you so they don't bother to say anything. And that, that can drive you mad if, if, you're, if you're expecting a reaction or you're expecting a sort of verbal um, uh, sort of agreement to, to, um, to, let, to let you know, yes, they do agree with you or they like what you say or whatever. But when just someone just stands there and stares at you, to some people that's quite alarming. And yet that is, uh, <coughs> I know because I do it. <laughs> and I've upset a few people by doing it, and I didn't realise that. I didn't realise I was upsetting them. But it's just something that I do. And then coming from, I, I picked on, 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 on English people because I'm English, but, but all, most of us coming from different countries, we find that we have national traits uh, and ways of, of responding, ways of talking, ways of holding conversations or relationships that are different. Even though we all pretty much look the same, we can actually be very different, you know, in our, just nationally as well as, of course, then there's all the per, different personality. And all this in, a, in these, um, in the European monasteries, all this, of course, has to become grist of the meal. It, it has to become our practice, our way of, of, of holding and accepting difference. It's not going to, because it's not all the same. If you go, say, to, to um, monasteries in Buddhist countries, and probably you'll find most of the people there are all from the same culture. Of course, they've all got their personalities, yes, but, but culturally they're pretty much the same, so they sort of behave in basically very similar ways. And if, if one isn't aware that this is here, that this is how it is, that this is the reality of it, uh, and then one just holds to the ideals of monastic life or how, how we should be when we're in the monastery, then we miss, we miss a lot of the practice. We miss a lot of uh, the chance to practice because we don't see, we, we don't see the reality of uh, the, where the spark comes from in, in the relationship. And it, it adds an extra dimension for our practice as we live together whether we're lay people here, or we're all living in the monastery, or lay people, or sangha, whether we're uh, eight preceptors, or monks and nuns, whatever, um, this, um, this difference uh, is, is a very useful one for us to look at because it can bring up so many problems, so much trouble for us. If we're not, if uh, our attention is not keen enough to see it. And it's this also, having these, these differences, and seeing, being able to see the reality of um, the perfection or the, the idealistic way that we should all be, well, we should all be like that. Nice and kind, isn't it? And then the reality, uh, it shows us that in the Buddha's teachings, uh, the profundity of his teachings and the, um, the completeness of it, because, because he doesn't let us off the hook for any of this, because he's laid down a practice for all of it. You know, whatever, whatever the problem is that's causing our suffering, if we look into the Buddha's teachings, there's something there for us to, to say, hey, this is, you know, this is what we're missing. This is what we're missing. And one of the good teachings uh, that, that we can see in the Buddha's teachings are the four divine abidings. And this is a, a really a good teaching for us to, to contemplate occasionally. Now again, what we have a problem here with the four divine abidings, Loving kindness, loving kindness, that's sort of idealistic. <laughs> loving kindness, it's sort of rather ultimate and compassion 
very strong word, isn't it? And it's sort of a mm, compassion is where you know we really give up our own our own uh, comfort for the good of others or whatever, or or willing to put up with a, a lot of trouble from people, you know, to to help them. Uh, and then the, the gladness, gladness at other people's good fortune. That's not such a problem in the, in the Sangha. I think probably that's probably more of a problem outside. Uh, jealousy and all those sorts of resentment that people uh, get in things that we don't get is probably more of a problem outside. Because in the, in the, in the monastery, well, we don't have such a lot anyway, and our aspiration for things is not so high as for most people outside. Uh, um, but still, it, it can still come up, so this gladness, having a sense of gladness at other people's good fortune. And then, of course, equanimity. The equanimity. So these, these four divine abidings, or if we, we can just say in the words in our mind, we, we can think of them as being quite high states, and they are, of course, once they're developed, when we've practiced them for many years, they're developed, but also that we can, we can practice them in any state that we're in, even though we, we do have greed and we do have anger and all those sorts of negative emotions still, still we can still practice the four divine abidings. It might not be, it might not be the practice of the Buddha, but still, uh, it, it, it can, it, uh, pra these practices are ways that can ease our path and make our ability to share relationships <coughs> with people that otherwise, if we didn't make that effort to, to look into these, these four uh, ways of, of, of interacting, relating, uh, it would make, could make life very difficult for us. That's why the Buddha, of course, gave us them. They point to, um, all of them point to something that as human beings is, is there. They, they point to greed or they point to selfishness. <laughs> they point to sort of being, having animosity towards others, being, uh, to, um, to have a tendency to, to, to express our anger towards others. Uh, they point to sort of greediness within ourselves and then this, this tendency to always want to get our way. And when we don't get our way, then we get, then we get angry. <laughs> so all of these, the, these four divine abidings, loving kindness, compassion, uh, gladness, and then equanimity, all point to something that is, that is in the human character, whether we, whether we like to think it is or not, but it is. Uh, and, it's, and that's uh, so something slightly different to the ideal. We think of monastic life or monastic practice where we tend to think these things are already in there, that they're already part of it. But they aren't. They're, they're not part of it unless we, unless we develop them and make them part of it. And, they, and often it, it's a lack of these things within ourselves that bring forth uh, anger uh, over, over quite small... <coughs> small um, uh, actions or uh, things, uh, verbal or, or, or physical actions that people do. Um, and and uh, in the mind uh, and in speech, through speech, and um, it, they, they can help us to reflect on ourselves. Just And we can see, oh, yeah, there's a lack of loving kindness there. That's why I'm so angry. <laughs> oh, there's a lack of, of compassion there. And that's... I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not making way for this person, I'm not making way for this person's um, 
the behaviour, which, which doesn't come up to my standard. Uh, and so their behaviour is making me angry. I'm getting angry because they're not acting in a way, in a way that I, I think is good or is, is pleasing to me. And, and jealousy, when people get something that we don't get, or, or this tendency for, for, for the emotions uh, to swing to one way or the other. Uh, people's, when, 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 when uh, good fortune or bad for fortune happens to us. Sometimes uh, there can be uh, a bit of um, a misunderstanding of how these, these four divine abidings work, uh, and we can, we can actually uh, think, well, I, sh I should have, uh, say, loving kindness. Uh, it doesn't, it, as people sometimes say, it doesn't seem to be working because when I have I've loving kindness, um, it, you know, it, it doesn't seem to rise up in me very much, or it, I still, I still feel, I still feel angry, uh, and, and they're trying to force themselves to have what what they consider, say, to be a sense of loving kindness towards someone who's done or or something to them, or because of some misfortune that's happened, uh, when they should be having a sense of compassion towards that person or that situation. Because of because of the suffering, usually when we when we cause difficulties for others, we're not often if we if we if we're doing it on purpose. If a person is being pers purposely difficult, if we look at that, we can see, ah, oh, that person actually. Where does that dif that difficulty, that desire to create difficulty, that desire to um, create unpleasantness in oneself, or to make make a person sort of suffer in some way, it, it often comes from uh, the sense of suffering that, that we are feeling, or the person that tries to cause that in others, it's because they suffer themselves. And, and, and so this is, when we look at this, and a sense of compassion can arise, and then that, that sense of anger can, can begin to diminish when we see, this person isn't, isn't creating this difficulty for me, uh, simply out of nastiness, but it's because they are suffering themselves, and this is just a reflection in their outer actions, in their speech, of their own suffering. So uh, instead of uh, feeling angry or allowing anger to, to, to express from ourselves or to grow within ourselves, we can develop a sense of compassion for the difficulties that they are experiencing and that is now manifesting out from them. And this is very useful for us because because I, it allows us to see ourselves more clearly, but it also allows us to start letting go of that without, uh, without the fear that if I let go, then somehow I'm going to be beaten or they're going to they're gonna gain something over me. Often this is one of the problems in relationships, isn't it, where we, we feel if I, if I soften up <laughs> or if I don't fight back, they'll, they'll sort of get something over me or they'll beat me in some way. And, and this will always, always tend to block uh, the, the development of, of, of the four divine abidings. But the secret is to see which, which of these is it that, that I need to apply? Which of these are, should I bring in here now to try to develop around this situation? And this is why it's good to reflect on these, these four divine abidings occasionally within the mind, bring them to mind, bring the names, the words to mind, and then just to contemplate what are these things? What is, what is compassion? What is, what, is, um, equi what is equanimity? Sometimes people get, get mixed up between loving kindness and equanimity. 
they're trying to practice loving kindness when they should be practicing equanimity, or they're trying to practice equanimity when they should be practicing some loving kindness. I remember some years ago in New Zealand, I was talking uh, to, um, uh, to, to some, some man come to, come to have a chat, chat with me. He had a, didn't have a very good relationship with his mother. Now, this is not something that is all that unusual in the world. And he had had a, quite a bad relationship with his mother for quite a number of years, as he'd been, he'd been growing up. And now he was, <clears throat> he was a man, he was, had a, quite a responsible job. But he, but he was actually living, living at home with his mother, but, but he had a very bad, this bad relationship, bad feeling towards his mother. He didn't, they just couldn't get on. And he said, and he was talking to me, and he, and he said, well, he said, why is it? He said, oh, I'm try, I try to practice equanimity towards, towards her. He said, but it just doesn't seem to work. He said, I, I try to sort of let go and just try to be equanimous around her, around her behavior. He said, but it, I, it, it doesn't last for very long. I might just start, and then I very quickly find that, that, that what she does really makes me angry, overwhelms me with anger. He said, I, I find it impossible to really to be equanimous to what she's doing. And when we talked about it for a little while, and then we come to the conclusion, yeah, well, because he, he, yes, he won't, he won't be, he won't be able to to just let go of her behaviour because it's too annoying for him. But what he could do is, would be to, to to develop some loving kindness towards her, which which is not asking her to change, or it's not asking her to, uh, it's not trying to resist her in any way, or just just accept uh, the way she is uh, as normal, but just to develop a heart that, that, accepts, that, that accepts the way she is anyway, without, without asking her to change. It's more like an accepting quality. And once, the, once, once you develop some loving kindness, there may be a sense of equanimity would be able to come in, so in, in their relationship, so that they were able to, to interact together without him getting into this very angry state. They would get angry with each other, actually. Angry with each other because they'd never really developed any of those qualities in their relationship. They just allowed that relationship to go on for quite a number of years. And it was quite a, uh, a relationship that brought a lot of suffering to this man, and probably to the mother as well, I imagine. So these, 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 uh, the, so these, um, these, these um, Fodivana bodies, they're, they're, they're good for us because they point to you know, areas within ourselves. Quite a problem, of course, when we are having difficulties, we are having a sense of suffering, especially in, in communities, and that is that we do tend to blame the other person. And in, and in this, you know, idealistic religious communities where everyone is so pure, or should be so pure and perfect all the time, it's very easy for us to hold on to uh, something when we see people behaving in a way where they, it's just rationally, they just shouldn't be, it shouldn't be like that. And yet that very suffering we feel is is the pointer, isn't it? Why are we, why are we feeling that? Why, why are we suffering? What is it we're holding on to? What is the quality that if, that if we can start to develop it, or if we start to bring it in, will we'll ease that holding on, or we'll start to release the grip that we have on the idea that this person should change? Usually it, it, it's always about changing, somebody changing and doing something in a different way than they're doing now that's annoying me, 
or doing something in a way that I want them to do it, that, that I think is appropriate, or something like this. It's always something in us where we want to hold on to, to our idea and, and they should change. <laughs> this, is, this is where the suffering arises for us. It's them that should change because I'm right. And because I'm right, then that's, that's how I want to stay. I want to stay with this view. And they should change, change their behaviour, change their view. Of course they don't. Because not, you're not their boss. Just because you want them to change, they're not going to change just to please you. Because they think that they're right. And so, and, and so these, these divine abidings are something that can, can come in. It, it doesn't need for anybody to change or another person to change for me, but it needs me to look in myself and begin to change myself, and then, then everything changes. When, you, when you've got two people, you've got a relationship, or more than two people, you've got relationship, and all them. we relate to each other, there's a relationship there, isn't it? Oh, so if the relationship isn't good, what's going to change the relationship? Well, it's when one of the people change, or both of the people change, then the relationship changes. So if we want to change the relationship, then if we look within ourselves, if, if we, oh, I don't like this relationship, you know, I'm suffering. <laughs> if we look within ourselves, well, where can I change? Because when I change my attitude, then gradually uh, the relationship will change. It might not change exactly as we want it straight away, but we can begin to work with that. And this is where the Buddha tells us to use our wisdom and our, our intelligence to see when we do um, interact with others, where does suffering arise? Through, through our side, through what we say, through what we do. And where, if, that, if that, that suffering has already arisen, where does it diminish by where we change what we say or where we change what we do? To, so this, this aspect of, of observing is very important for us, to observe what is it that changes the situation for the better in me and then as the other person changes as well. So this, this aspect and this dukkha of, of suffering, when we begin to suffer in relationships, well, it's a warning sign to us. Oh, maybe the other person is a rotter. Maybe, maybe the, the other person does need telling off or should, uh, does need to change or should change. But the thing is, is that maybe they're not going to. So the change has to come from a different direction. And, and in the end, the only person attitude that we can really change is our own. And often, uh, these um, problems arises uh, for us, not, not so much um, because of what a person does or says or whatever, but it's our attitude towards it, isn't it? And as I was saying, especially with all this, the, the fact that we all do come from different uh, countries, different um, cultures to a certain extent, and very easy for us to misunderstand each other or, to, or, or just not to like the way a certain person does things. Uh, but, but perhaps they're not going to change for us. Perhaps they're not going to ease our pain by doing things differently. So what we can look at there is our own attitude towards it. Are we going to change that attitude? Then that, that changes the relationship. Maybe they still do what they do, but it's not so painful for us to see anymore, to experience. And we can begin to allow people to, to be as they are, do as they are, without this constant change. This is one of the, the beauties 
of uh, monastic life. This is why, where monastic life really wins over the, the worldly life. It's because the worldly life is all about winning, isn't it? <laughs> it's all about getting, gaining, winning, building up something. Whereas the monastic life, it's not that important. Winning and gaining more, getting more, protecting yourself is not that important, not so important. Not of, of the sort of first importance there, maybe to a certain extent. But the spiritual um, development uh, goes slightly different, in a slightly different direction. So it doesn't matter if, if we don't win all the time. It doesn't matter if we, we, that we give in, that, that we let, uh, let this person win sometimes as well. Everybody likes to win, everybody, likes to, everybody has to lose. There's a large, sort of a largesse there, a, a sense of uh, equanimity. That's where equanimity comes in, is where we allow, allow ourselves to be not the winner, perhaps. <laughs> not getting what we want. So the, the, these four um, these four divine abidings are good pointers to us when, we, when we've not got them. Suffering arises in relationships. They it will do because it's in relationships. Any of any of the ten parami that the Buddha pointed out, or any of the four divine abidings, are developed in the cut and thrust of relationships when we have to relate to others. And it's the beauty of the sangha that we live closely together, we interact all day long uh, and we can't get away from each other and if there is something in a person that we don't like we can't really run away from it because we live quite closely together, we have to come to meetings together and express ourselves together then we live in the, in the, in, enclosed in the monastery inside the bounds of the monastery, we spend most of our time uh, and we, we have a lot of interacting together and the, people, the lay people that come to say live here with us, the lay guests, or or the, the 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 group looking after the winter retreat for us, you begin to find that this closeness is uh, can be quite um, can be quite prickly, <laughs> and uh, quite a lot of uh, if we're not if we're not skilled in in the way that we have our relationship, it can be quite a painful experience if we're not careful. But it's what, the, it's what this closed-in life, uh, the Sangha life, is, is all about. It's to get at these, it's to get at these, um, these aspects of our character that, that do, that, that these prickly aspects of our character, because that's where the, the suffering arises from. Our tendency to look at others and see the faults of others uh, well, that's what we do as human beings. That's what everybody does. It's, it's none of us don't do that. But that's where, that's where the practice is, is to get into that. And, and this life is, is, desi is designed to do that. This life is not designed just like to coast along. It's not a coasting life <laughs> where you just coast along, happy as Larry every day. But it's a life where these things are supposed to be, these prickly bits are supposed to be there because they point to something within us. And yet, and yet we're not, the Buddha didn't just leave us to suffer. He, he, he showed us uh, the, the qualities that we can develop, that, that, we, that we use when this suffering arises, that actually diminishes the suffering and eventually eliminates it. So the suffering that we have, that we, that we 
that arises through, through attachments, clinging, is replaced by the very qualities uh, that, that, the, that, that help us to get rid of that, rid of that, that, that painful um, aspect. And when the pain is gone, and the tendency for that pain not to arise, what we're left is, is the quality. The quality is there, so the quality of loving-kindness is there, it's been replaced. It's replaced, the, the, the quality of say, anger or, or sort of animosity that we, that we used to have. Uh, the, the quality of, of, genera- of um, gladness, generosity replaces the, the greed that we used to have. And the equanimity replaces the sort of selfishness that we the, the selfishness that we used to have always we've got to be the winner all the time the sense of equanimity so these things first of all they they when we when we run them through the mind we think about them they show us where the problem is and then as we as we practice them we bring them into practice as best we can gradually they grow and then they they replace those old um, feelings those old um, mental states that used to bring suffering to us, <laughs> suddenly, quickly, uh, that we actually couldn't see uh, what, what, is, what, is, what is the root of this, where, where does this arise from. And when, we're, when, and when these are diminished and, and these qualities are left in the heart, in the mind, then yeah, life becomes a much more peaceful affair, it becomes more like a, a monastic life or a spiritual life. It's what the spiritual life is about. We tend, we can tend to think about the spiritual life as, as getting things like getting peace, becoming peaceful, or getting wisdom, getting this or getting that. It can be very much uh, the the way of, of our, our thinking, our ways of thinking, because that that was what we. That's what we were trained to do, isn't it? When we're trained to we work to get money, to get a wage, or we study to get a degree, or we earn money so that we can get a holiday, go on a holiday, or we can get a house, or we can get something else. And this is what the life in general for most people is about, getting this, achieving that growing something else, it's always like manifesting, getting, increasing. Uh, but once we come inside the gates, that's a slightly, the, the, um, the direction changes. It's not a thing of manifesting and increasing, but decreasing, letting go, finding out which, that which has to be diminished, letting go of. And that's where peace comes from, is having the wisdom, having wisdom to know, yeah, when to do, what to do, and then when to let go, how to let go. And that's where the peace comes from, not just getting our, our way. So if, if you find yourself in a, in a situation where you're, you're demanding that everybody does what you want, because if they do that, then we can all be peaceful, look again, because you won't be, you won't be feeling very peaceful when you're demanding that this person acts in this way or that person acts in that way. You won't have much peace in the heart. There won't be much peace there. <laughs> because the very demand itself is not coming from a peaceful place. But when we can allow people to be as they are, to be what they are, to have their, their difficult ways, uh, then and uh, be able to accept that, then yeah, peaceful, peace will, will grow from there. So uh, in a, 
another week's time. This time next week, we will have, we will have had our, our first meal in the new kitchen. So we'll be moving over to the kitchen. That marks a place, doesn't it, in the, in the winter retreat when we, get, when we move back to our, our place, uh, a kitchen of our own. I always wanted to have a kitchen of my own. Have my own dining room, my own little seat. And we can leave the retreat center to Josh and to Joanna and Diana, and we can go back to our own, our own place, place of comfort. <clears throat> so we'll over the next Weekend, I guess over the, the weekend or maybe early next week, we'll be, we'll be having to organise uh, the work to move over. Uh, everyone will be probably needed to help with that in some form or other to move in all the stuff, moving all the stuff back into the kitchen and settling back down to the, the routine. So there can be a disturbance in, in the routine for a few days. Sometimes the disturbance is good, it's interesting and We've all got to work together to fix things up and then other times a disturbance can be a nuisance, can't it? Because it disturbs our, our peace, it disturbs our equanimity or it disturbs our, our quietness. Uh, and then we see disturbance as something that is a nuisance. So sometimes a disturbance is interesting and then other times a disturbance is a nuisance. But it's just a disturbance, isn't it? A disturbance is a disturbance. So where does the peace, uh, the interest and... Uh, and then, the, and then the, the angst, where does that come from? From the same disturbance, it comes from, of course, the mind, the heart, doesn't it? The, mind, the heart is clinging, whatever it's clinging to will create a, a disturbance there. But whenever we're feeling uh, disturbed by, by other people's behaviour or by what's going on around us, if we look, they'll look within and then we'll see, oh, actually, this, this disturbance is coming from within me. It's, it's coming from this attachment or this is where I'm holding on. And then we can start that, the practice there. We can start to, to uh, act for ourselves. We don't need someone else to tell us what to do. We just look in that place and say, oh, this is, where, this is where the letting go has to be. Just right in that place there. Not too difficult. One of the uh, one of the of all the all the, the divine abidings, uh, the one that, that people seem to find the most difficulty with is, is equanimity. Often people would say, "Well, I understand what loving kindness is and compassion and that, but what's equanimity? I don't know what equanimity is." So the Buddha gave us this this teaching on the on the eight worldly winds, when the wind blows. It blows us in this direction, and when it blows from another direction, it blows us in another direction. We watch if there's a strong wind, and we watch if there's some paper or leaves, then whatever way the wind's blowing, well, it blows the leaves in that direction. When it blows from a different direction, then, then the paper and the leaves go in, in, in a different direction. That's the way it is. So the Buddha said that somewhere or other, there's always a wind blowing in this world, in this life for us. And it's so this, to feel these, which way is the wind blowing? Which way does the wind blow? Which way is, is best for me? <laughs> and he, he says the, these eight worldly winds, he says this is like um, praise and blame. Everybody experiences play, praise and everybody experiences blame. Actually, the Buddha used to get blamed. He said there's, there's no one that, that doesn't get blamed. 
everybody gets blamed. I think Bob Dylan sang a song about it once back in the 60s, I think. And uh, if someone like the Buddha would, would get criticised and blamed for the things he did, well, then how can we expect not to be? So always there'll be something that we do, we'll get blamed for, or maybe not actually blamed, but criticised, or, or maybe uh, the faults of it pointed out to us. And when that happens, if we're not careful, if we're attached to that, or if we're attached to that way that we did it, or that thing that we've got, then that's where suffering arises. That's one of the worldly winds. That's what shakes us. When there's no wind, the leaves just hang on a tree, just hanging down. And when the wind blows, then the, then the leaves blow about. And that's like the mind, the leaves in the mind. When the wind comes along, the blame, then the wind in the, the, the leaves in the mind start to flutter about. And then the, mind, and then the tongue starts to flutter about and all the criticising and the, and the cursing and all the rest of it. <laughs> so there's this wind of, of, um, of, of blame, something that we all have to experience, no matter how good you are. Some, somewhere along the lines, even in a monastery, you'll get blamed sometime or other, or criticised or whatever. And praise, everybody gets praised. Uh, it's just funny, we don't seem to notice the praise so much as the blame. <laughs> the, the, the happiness of the praise is not, is not, so, not so devastating as the, as the, the, the blame, the, the pain of the blame. <laughs> Seems to be a, more, uh, a much sharper experience. But I guess when we get praised, we, we just take it for granted. Well, I, could, I should be praised because I'm good. But I shouldn't be blamed. <laughs> I'm not bad. So praise and blame, these are the two experiences we have, the opposites, but they're both what the Buddha just calls them worldly winds. They blow, they blow the mind about. We praise, we, we hold on to that. Builds us up, builds up the ego. And then when we're blamed, it puts us down. And, the, and, the, and the, the equanimity, of course, is staying in the middle, accepting praise, accepting blame. Knowing, well, blame comes, well, it'll pass eventually. And if praise comes, well, that'll pass as well. Enjoy it while it's there, experience it while it's there. But if we wait, if we, if we, if we're, uh, we have a certain uh, sense of samadhi or sense of mindfulness, then we'll see that arise, but then we'll see it pass, whichever one it is, the praise or the blame, if we watch, we don't get too caught in it. We see actually both of them pass. And, and it's up to us how much we, we suffer over one or how much we, we, how high we go because of the other. Well, that's up to us. That's not the praise itself. It's not, it's not the problem. And the blame itself is not the problem. It's, it's us. It's the mind, isn't it? It's the grasping one way or the other. There's the pushing away of the blame. It's not fair. It's not fair. No, it's not, not right. All the blame. Oh, more, 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 please. Gain and loss. Win some, lose some. That happens to all of us as well, some form or other. Um, in, 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 the, in the monastic life, it's not, it's not so much about money. <laughs> but there's still a sense of gaining and losing sometimes. <laughs> within ourselves, there's this sense of getting and, uh, and then being deprived of in some form or another. Now, some people can get quite upset even just 
just say a small amount of money or a small amount of having something that's taken. Uh, that someone, if someone goes in your room and takes something, even if it's a small thing, there's a sort of a, a feeling there of being sort of um, assaulted or something like that. I always remember <laughs> there was a uh, there, was a, there was a spate of burglaries around around uh, this area. Oh, I think this, this lady lived in um, Milton Keynes. That's why there was a spate of burglaries going around. Uh, there was a lot of burglaries, and, and they were the, the burglars were going around in a big circle. So they'd go to this area, then they'd move into another area, and then I guess keeping ahead of the police, I suppose. And this lady got burgled, and not, not much went, she didn't lose very much, but someone had been in and burgled women through her stuff. And uh, they'd been through all the, the bedroom and then through the cupboards and that. Hadn't taken all that much, but then a friend of hers just up the road, a few nights later, or a few days later, she got burgled as well. And, and the people, and the, and the burglars took all her dresses, for some reason or other. And uh, when she told this, this other lady, this first lady, she told her about it, and she said, they took all my dresses. And the first lady said, thought, no, she, she thought, well, why didn't they take my dresses? What, what's wrong with my dresses? <laughs> sort of an insult that the burglars didn't <laughs> take pinch her stuff. <laughs> That's, that's, that's the way we can think, isn't it? That's the, that's the ego. My, my dresses are as good as hers, aren't they? What's wrong with my shoes? It's sort of win some, lose some, gain and loss. Happiness and unhappiness, we all experience that. Happiness can arise can come from, a, from, from an internal the cause really, not nothing particularly unusual happening and sometimes you just feel really chipper, don't you? You feel really, really good. Something has arisen from inside, the mind feels good, the heart feels good, the body feels good and you feel quite happy. And in other times, even though nothing really bad has happened, and yet there's a, a sort of sense of depression or feeling of, of sadness or a feeling of um, yeah, unhappiness can arise from inside. Sometimes it's coming from outside, sometimes it just arises within oneself. So this, this experience of happiness and, and sadness, this is, a, this is something that as human beings we can all, all experience. It comes and it goes, it, it's, like the, it's like the others, it's like the gain and the loss. They, they each take their turn, having taken their turn, they, they vanish, they change. The gain comes up and the loss comes up. Happiness comes, and then the sadness comes. It's being a human being, it's what being a human being is, is about. We don't live, we're not like the animals that tend to live by instinct more. They will say, when you, if you're born as a fox, fox, a few foxes around here, if you go out and see a few foxes in the evening. Uh, but when a fox dies, his life is pretty much the same as, as probably as when he was when he was young, his life probably hasn't changed very much. He goes out every night looking for some rabbits to eat or something else, and hides away in his burrow or whatever, maybe mates with his mate and uh, whatever he does. But there's probably not that much difference in, in the life of an animal through the years. It's pretty much 
when they die, they probably haven't had a great variety of things that they've done in their life. Whereas as human beings, we have a, a very large variety of things that we can do. We have a variety of experiences. Uh, and a lot of these experiences we can learn from. Uh, they might be pleasant or they might be unpleasant. Any of these worldly winds, pleasant ones or unpleasant ones, but, but we can gain knowledge from them, we can gain wisdom from them, and that's why the Buddha points them out to us. He isn't just saying, hey, look, there is happiness and there is suffering. He's saying, hey, look, experience, and look. Don't be afraid of that experience because it, it won't keep going. It'll eventually pass. There's no need to be afraid of it. And, and, and the suffering uh, that comes from it comes more from our attitude towards it than the thing itself. It's surprising when people are sick or if they, they've um, had something unfortunate in their life, they say, oh, they, although it was bad, actually I could bear it. It wasn't that, it wasn't, in the end, it wasn't unbearable. Ajahn Sumedho talks about this in some of his talks. When he, he thought, well, this is unbearable, I can't stand it. But actually he could stand it, and he did stand it. <laughs> and it's the same when people can, can bear, human beings can bear quite, quite um, strong misfortune. Mm. Why is that? Why is it some people can and one pe some people can't? Well, it's the attitude, it's the mind, isn't it? It's the heart, uh, the heart that's trained, the heart that's trained to let go or to, to hold, and the heart that, that, that is, is still in a state of rejection, wanting to push away, let go. There's the difference between the pain and the peace. Being famous or being the one at the back who's always jumping up, trying to look over everybody's head to see what's going on at the front, or the one who's always at the front, the famous, or the one who's out at the front, the famous one. Fame or fame or obscurity. Some people like being at the front, don't they? When you put them at the back, they just keep pushing forward till they get to the front again. Some people you put them at the front and they want to be at the back. They don't want to be at the front, they don't want everyone looking at them or whatever. But always sometimes we're going to be at the front, <coughs> whether we like it or not, and other times we're going to be at the back, whether we like it or not. And being famous doesn't mean always, uh, it's not always great fortune, is it really? Because we can see from this young lady, or young lady, but this woman that's, that's just died, this singer, that's just died, 48 years old. Wow, probably one of the most famous uh, singer blue uh, soul singers or pop singers in the world at one stage selling million millions of records all over the world fame fortune and then <clears throat> then came all the the the, the, the um, unskillful living and then this early death of this person that was so much admired and so much loved all over the world so fame doesn't always necessarily mean uh, happiness, does it? <laughs> it, can, it you know, the, the, the two don't, don't necessarily go together. They may do or they may not. That depends, depends on us. Fame obscurity. Some people like to be obscure. 
And some people, when they're, when they're, when they're obscure, then they're, or they're left, or they're not out of the front, or they're not known, then, then they suffer because they, they want to be. They have that, 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 that need or that sense of wanting to be noticed. Or either can bring, either can be okay, or either can, either can bring suffer, suffering. It depends on our attitude towards them. But here, about, here we both, they'll, they'll change if we, if we watch. There'll be some sort of change in both of them. So there's, uh, there's the equanimity. If we, if we think, well, what, what is equanimity? Just think of these, these worldly winds, these opposites, sets of opposites. Because if we watch in some small ways or sometimes large ways, they happen to us and they, they happen to us quite frequently, most of the time actually. Often we miss it because we're not looking at that, we're just feeling it. We're looking at the elation when it's good and, and the suffering or the, the unhappiness when it's bad. But we, but we miss that, we miss actually what the Buddha's pointing to is, is when, we see, when we see the cause, when we see which wind it is, then, we, then it can bring a sense of reflection and we can see, well, this is just something that passes. No wind lasts forever, no, no, strongly, however strong a wind is, eventually it won't be there anymore. And however calm everything is, eventually, There'll be something, something, a wind or some, something will come along and disturb it, will rustle the leaves on the tree. And so the, 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 the winter retreat goes on and the practice goes on, our practice goes on, meditation, keeping to the, having the retreats or keeping to the, the schedules doing the work that needs to be done. But always this, this sense of, of um, watching, always this sense of mindfulness or this sense of investigation that we have is into this, this aspect of suffering. We think that suffering is something we shouldn't have, we don't want and all the rest of it. And yet it's, it's that which we can rely on, it's that which we can experience so, so clearly. Uh, it's like uh, something that, we, that is easy to see if we know how to look. It's not so much where to look, but how to look. That's why the Buddha pointed to this, this first noble truth, the suffering, because it's that. We get it. If we miss it, if, we miss, if, we're, if we're not looking skillfully, we're trying to get rid of it or we're trying to get rid of what we think is causing it. And ah, that's often where we're wrong, because uh, what we think is causing it is inside and not that person or that situation so much. But what, what's happening inside us about that situation, about that person? So this, when we keep an eye on that, and then we have this sense of investigation, we have this development of these four divine abidings, then our stay in the monastery, whether we're in the group or whether we're nuns or anagarikas or monks, Obviously, whatever, uh, then our, our life in the monastery, it, it yields good results for us. And those good results is this sense of peace, which is what the Buddha is, of course, pointing to in this sense of release. But that comes, uh, as someone very wisely <laughs> said at um, a couple of meetings ago, that, that peace 
comes from within. It's not something we can impose from without. A sense of peace is not imposed from without, and it's certain we can't impose it on someone else. You will be peaceful. We, we have ways of making you peaceful. Uh, no, that peace, it, it comes from within, but it, it comes as a, from that, this investigation, this sense of investigation, and just using these skillful means that the Buddha uh, gave us uh, uh, in, in, a, in, our own, in our own practice. So that's enough uh, for this evening. <laughs>